Well, Happy New Year, Wilder. We're actually taping this on New Year's Eve, which shows our commitment, right? We are. We are. <laughs> ha- uh, happy New Year. I don't know. Fuck off 2021. I know, uh, you know. I know. I know. Wait, do you do a New Year's resolution or anything? I hate New Year's Eve. Hate it. Uh, by it's the way, probably my least favorite holiday. You know, it's funny because I am never I don't stay up late, but also I had a small child when I got divorced. So I never went out on New Year's Eve. And I what I do is I write somebody who is big in my life a letter. Sometimes it's 60 or 70 pages. Wow. And I write down everything I remember about them, everything, how they've changed my life. And then I send it in the mail and they have no idea it's coming. And over the past Very nice. 20, I know over the past 25 or 30 years. My friends start to talk to each other, family, whatever. And now every year it's like, am I going to get the letter this year? Am I going to get the letter? And like, no, you're not. You're not. And um, so be careful what you do. And, you know, uh, anyway, I don't like New Year's Eve much, but I do pick a word for the year, the next year, a word. And I put it on a bracelet and I wear the bracelet for a year. And here's my bracelet. I'm showing her my bracelet from last year. And last year's word was grace because I don't I don't have any. So I was looking to find it. Do you find me? Grace? I don't think that that's true, but I understand where you're coming from. Okay. So I As don't a know, person every- who also feels like they don't have grace. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't walk in a room and they go, oh, there's look at her grace. You know, they don't, they don't do that. <laughs> I also don't think that if you were a man, that grace would be in your lexicon. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, actually, that's going to make me feel better as I take this bracelet off and go to the next year. You know, my word next year is consistency. Oh, okay. I like that. But you got nothing? You're doing nothing? You got nothing? Uh, My word next year is caution. Really? (laughs) Why is that? Because let's all go in quietly. Okay. Carefully. Yep. Aware that, you know, it's nobody's year, right? Nobody's claiming 2022 is your year. No. We know it's going to be a shit show. We know it's going to be a dumpster fire. Let's just brace for it and get through it the best we can. And on that note... We're going to do two films today. And the first one we're going to talk about is Don't Look Up. I mean, talk about a shit show and a dumpster fire, not the movie, but the topic. Well, that's why Well, but that's why I thought it was such a perfect thing. Now, I just have to start by saying it's a satire, it's supposed to be a satire and a comedy and a drama and many, many things. Right. Yes. But the premise of it is there's a comic coming to Earth and Earth continues to behave the way we've been behaving. And the parallel is supposed to be climate change. Like we're ignoring this comet coming to earth that's going to destroy earth. And and because I don't know, is it because of the cast? Do you think it's because of the cast? The, because, the cast is so, I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's I, more Oscar winners in this cast. Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, who, by the way, you should know, she did the entire movie with a tooth missing. And because of, because of COVID, they couldn't fix it. So they added the tooth in post-production. And all I could think about good was use of if half I a million was dollars. a tooth that was showing, I would be mortified. But honestly, you know, I mean, would have been great to include in her character. <laughs> yeah, the tooth could have broken early in. Okay, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, Jonah Hill. Is there anything that man can't do? Mark Rylance. Tyler Perry, Ron Perlman, who, you know, anybody in the Hamptons knows Ron Perlman, uh, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. I mean, come on. It goes on and on and on. Yeah. Right? And then for for the young kids is Ariana Grande and Kid Cudi. So yeah. they, they've really got every angle covered here. 
it, now, it's a very well, interesting story. <laughs> well, it's a very interesting story, and they have a chance to kill this comet, and then they back. Well, it, uh, we're not gonna. We're not gonna. Well, I I don't know how we can talk about it. this. I don't know. We're if gonna. We, I I think we can. So. Okay. It's a satire, so nothing goes according to plan, right? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have a happy ending, which is how it's been written about, and it's in the trailer. So yeah. I feel like I can say that. Okay. Now, but the reason I think it's so important is because Adam McKay did this film, and he did uh, The Big Short. And, and Vice. Yeah. But The Big Short, I thought, was one of the best movies I'd seen in over a period of five or six years. I thought it was so well laid out, mm-hmm. so complex, so many layers, so difficult to do. I thought it was really an amazing film. OK. And then he shows up with this and he took the same care for every detail, for giving a ton of nuances. I mean, Jonah Hill carries a Birkin bag. Did you notice it? Well, I think it's his mom's Birkin bag, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Jonah the, Hill is the son of Meryl Streep, who is the president, the president who is a very uh, right. Trumpian president. Yes, she is actually. Okay. So he carries the Birkin bag. And the whole point of that was imagine if the codes were carried in Birkin bag. Yeah. And the absurdity of it, to say nothing of the absurdity of even having codes that you carry around in today's world, all of that sort of works in this way of that's what I mean by so many layers and so many nuances. It was too long. Mm -hmm. Did you think it was too long? Oh yeah. No, no comedy should be longer than two hours. That's really well said. Yeah. Maybe no reason. Maybe even an hour and a half. I have a very important question for you. Mm. Have you watched Dr. Strangelove? No. Okay. This is going to be a tough conversation to have with you not having seen the greatest satire of all time. But okay. Uh, <laughs> By the way, I will watch it if you tell me to. I've told you about four times. Okay, to well, watch the this fifth movie. Time is the charm. Okay, <laughs> so tell me what what's your parallel? I mean, Doctor Strange is one of the greatest satires ever made. It's okay. about nuclear war. There's a very famous scene in Doctor Strange Love, and and. Kubrick was so he was such a details oriented. I mean, he was he was such a, a drill sergeant as a director. Right. So there's the scene there. They're, they talk all about mad. Right. Mutual assured destruction. But they're on the brink of war. It's, you know, 30 seconds to midnight and. They walk into the war room and the war room is set up literally as a massive poker table. It's black and white, so you can't tell. But the table that all of these leaders are sitting around is green felt. It is a poker table. <laughs> and two men start fighting. And George C. Scott looks over and goes, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. <laughs> and it's just genius. The writing, the acting, everything in this movie is just absolute top quality. Fantastic. But it's all down to the writing, right? The writing of this. It's so smart. And everything has so many different meanings. And I think that's what's missing in Don't Look Up. Oh, miss, I th- oh, my God. I was just about ready to interrupt you and say, so is the point of your monologue to say that this is exactly what he's done here? Or you felt I don't missing? think so. I, it, I didn't huh? find it layered. I didn't find it incredibly funny. You know, there oh, were moments that were very the, By funny. the way, the first half hour I thought was really funny. And then it gets old because you can't carry that kind of absurdity and you can't carry that for two and a half hours. Well, you can. 
You can go watch Dr. Strangelove. You how long is, how long is Dr. Strangelove? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't actually know. I betcha. I betcha. Before you look it up, I bet it's, no. it's about an hour and a half. Well, we'll see. Hold I don't on. think it's an hour and a half running time of Dr. Strangelove. It is. Oh, you're right. It's an hour. It's one thirty-five. Sure. Because when it came out, they didn't yeah. have movies that were two hours. That's true. You know, I mean, um, go, you know, Gone with the, the film was, was too expensive. <laughs> well, maybe that's why. But here's the thing. I think that's how come you can do it. And so I think the problem with this film is in the editing. Because I think yeah. there are moments of total genius. I think the nuances and the layers in there. is fantastic. Yeah. She's, I, almost, I think she's the funniest in the movie. Oh my God. Not only that, they made her look different. And who do you think they were mocking her after? I... I mean, there's there's quite a few people, well, but I'd any, like to hear any yours. blonde any blind on Fox is the way yeah. I looked at it. Any blonde really? on Fox, yeah. I felt like that's they were they took all the blondes that are on Fox and they were and just they just sort copied of, copy and pasted their look yeah. onto Kate Blanchett. She is unbelievable. But then I decided maybe the reason that they, it's too long and that I felt like it was poorly edited is maybe there were too many stories they were trying to tell because they don't end that story well. You know, there's so many storylines and maybe they didn't need them all. And maybe that was part of the problem. I think that might be part of it. I also think the point of some of it is that they don't end some of the stories because people are not accepting the truth of what's happening in their situation. <laughs> some um, of them are. Now, some keep of in them mind, do. Jennifer Lawrence has not done a film in four years. And the reason she hasn't is because the last three films she did totally tanked the last one being red uh what was the name of that again red sparrow yeah so the last one she did was a tank and by the way i thought it was a good film and i thought she was good in it so i was i I was sad that it tanked what i didn't see it okay well probably you wouldn't have agreed but anyway (laughs) so she's she decided she needed to take a break i think she was afraid like you know she starts out you know from everything from you know the bone (laughs) to winter's bone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everything she did, she touched was gold. And then all of a sudden she's three tank films and she felt I'm not doing well in this. So she wanted to go have a life for four years. This is her first comeback. And here's what I want to say. You know what, Jennifer, first of all, I think she's very good in it. I don't know that this is going to be the comeback film. She's not going to be tripping up to get her Academy award, but. Which is interesting considering how many Oscar winners are in this movie. I know. (laughs) But here's the thing, bold move on your part, Jennifer, and well done, because to come back after four years and pick something like this, that's so out of the box, so iffy, so chancy, the other people in this could afford to do something for fun and to work together and to sort of, and there was a lot of free motion going on in there. Like, for example, in the credits, you see what happens later and Meryl Streep, for example, you see something happen to her that is just mind blowing. And it's in the credits. It's like a postscript. And it was her idea. (laughs) And DiCaprio, toward the end of the film, has a line that is magnificent. That was his idea. So Adam McKay encouraged a lot of just free association on the set. And I think Jennifer Lawrence will always be a bold performer. And I'm glad that she didn't come back in something safe for her first well, comeback. I actually think this might be safe. Really? Why that, do you say that? Because I, I don't think you can go wrong with an Adam McKay movie. Uh, like, I think at this point, like it's pretty safe bet to go be in an Adam McKay movie. You know, Christian Bale got nominated for Vice, even though that movie wasn't amazing. 
And you look at the cast. I mean, I don't know who was first onto this movie, right? I so uh, I have a feeling that's the kind of movie where everybody said yes at the same time. Sure. You know? But I think also Adam probably, I, I don't even know if he had a script when he went out to these people, right? He might've said, I want to make a satire about climate change. And I'm sure Leo was like, yeah, I'm in. And what a breath of fresh air to get to see Leonardo DiCaprio flexes comedy chops again because we haven't seen that in a and long not only time. that and you know, there's not one sexy thing about it really oh well except for the irony of him being the sexiest scientist on earth yeah well becoming that because of <laughs> the nerdiness of him and it's just i mean there are parts of it well, and the, tre- the treatment of women in this is yeah, oh, i mean perfect. so spot on perfect. and fantastic perfect. and i loved a lot of it but i ultimately thought that the whole was not greater than the the sum of its parts. It had moments that were great to me and the performances were really good, but I, I don't know that the writing was, and it's to your point, the editing was up to the task of yeah, what it was trying to do. I agree. I agree. Who was the editor? Editor was Hank Corwin, who uh, did Ad Astra. He did Vice. Um, he did The Big Short. But this notably was not written by Charles Randolph, who wrote The Big Short. Yeah. Maybe also wrote Vice. I can't remember. It was written by Adam McKay, who is, he's he's a very good writer. Um, but you also have to remember that Adam comes from a background of broad comedy as well. And satire is a very different, very different animal. And so there were quite a few moments in this that felt broad to me that were going for the big laugh rather than the kind of scoff and chuckle, which I think a a satire is looking for more out of its audience. I couldn't agree more. I think, I think on this one, we're pretty close, but on the writing, I think there's some great writing in there. Like for example, there's some good writing. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence has a moment where the CIA is picking her up or the FBI or somebody, Homeland security, whatever. And she, they put a hood over and they take her away. And she says, unless you assholes are taking me to the bat cave, fuck you for putting this hood on me. Yeah. You know, it's funny. And she, by the way, those are the kinds of lines that if you don't deliver them with perfection, then they are not funny. And then you're really in trouble. She nailed, you know, she's the one who really had the most difficult humor, I think, to project. And I thought she just nailed it all. I'm a fan of hers. I think she also got the message, you know, to your point earlier about how she kind of stepped away for a while. She was everywhere for a while, right? Not just her movies, but like all over social media, all over. She was really everywhere. And she talked a lot about how she couldn't do anything right, right? Anything she did, whether it was a movie, whether it was going out with her friends, anything, she couldn't do anything right at the time. And so she needed to step back and give herself some space to get away from all of that. And I think good for her. Yeah. Now, Timothy Chalamet, interestingly enough. God love him. You think so? I think so. Oh, yeah. You didn't love him? I did love him, but he has a very, very small part and he didn't want to do it. He said, there's nothing in this part to make me want to do this. And then Adam McKay stepped forward and said, you don't think the prayer you're going to say has anything in it? And then he said, you're right, I'm doing it. And I had to say he has one 45 second monologue and it was worth showing up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, I will say that some of the most beautiful people on the planet are in the dinner scene towards the end. Yeah. Uh, in Lansing, Michigan. And I have been to Lansing, Michigan. Both of my parents went to school in Lansing, Michigan. You have been to Lansing, Michigan. I have many. I, I don't I don't know that that many beautiful people 
oh, man, just all in one room. I, I, I would have paid to be in that room. It's fine. Well, uh, also, well, one of the people you're talking about, I wanted to single out too here, and that's Melanin Linsky. Oh, she's so good. Okay, but can I just say, like, why every time I see her, she breaks my heart. I love her. She really owns the screen when she's on it. She's been in so many great things. Why is she not a bigger star? I don't know. I think she's really good at that vulnerability. Yeah, very um, but no, she's she's not in a ton, but her comedy chops are fantastic. Yeah, though. they are. Um, and that's, very, very you know, good. it's interesting in this movie because Meryl Streep, obviously everyone in this movie is, is a comedian except for Mark Rylance, right? I haven't seen Mark Rylance in a bunch of comedies, but he's, he's amazing. I mean, he's an incredible actor, but everyone and else. And also a really interesting role he's playing. Yeah. He always chooses interesting roles. I mean, did you see Bridge of Spies? I did. He's the reason. I mean, it's Tom Hanks movie. He's the reason to go see that movie. Well, you know, I think every time he's on a screen, he deserves Academy Award. Pretty because much. you also don't ever recognize him as the person you no, saw. He really ago. just yeah, melds yeah. into the role. But um, I was particularly interested because, you know, I haven't re- Timothy's done some comedy, but not a lot. You know, Meryl obviously can do anything. Kate Blanchett, I think doesn't get a lot of credit as a comedian because we see her so much as a, as a dramatician, but she's fantastic. I mean, her comedic timing is just incredible and they all bring it in this. And I just, I wish that the story and the writing and the editing had complemented all of that as well as you want it to. And by the way, they elevated the writing. The writing wouldn't be anything without them. But the other thing is, if you want to act and you want to be able to do comedy, you could watch this movie 10 times and watch each of these different performers as they approach their comedic moment. And I got to tell you, they have different ways of doing it. And it's worth it. So I think it should be one of the things that you, uh, you know, in acting school, it seems to me this should be a movie that people watch to see how to do comedy different ways. Um, but can we get back to Melanie for a minute? Sure. Sorry. Favorite, <laughs> Mel- favorite Melanie movie? Ever? Oh, God. Uh, I don't I honestly don't know. This Hang is on. not a question. This oh. is not a question. Sorry. Go for it. What's the answer? Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, yeah. She's great in Sweet Home Alabama. But also you really like her and you wish she was your friend and you wish you knew her in high school. And, uh, you know, she's just the best. So I just want to say, Melanie, I want you to be in more things. How can I help you here? How can I help get you there? You know, so. All right. So I think it's a must see, don't you? Uh, I don't know. I I mean, I think you should see it, but I also think don't see it on a night where you're hoping for a big fun comedy because that's not what this is. You know, oh, be oh no, no, be in a specific mood to watch it. But I think you should watch it. But I also think like be prepped to watch it because it's not a laugh a minute. But I think on the on the subject of comedy as a task and as a difficult weight to lift, we can uh, transition straight to our next movie. Being the Ricardos. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. First of all, it's Aaron Sorkin. Anybody who listens to Screen Thoughts over the past years know that if I could have lunch with or dinner with any person, dead or alive, bar none, I would pick Aaron Sorkin. I think he's the greatest writer of our time. Although somebody I highly respect, Mike Gibbons, who's a comedy writer, actually out in LA, he was trying to explain to me why he finds 
Aaron Sorkin, he said, it's this problem with the Sorkin lines as I know he wrote them. Yeah. And the minute he said, yeah, well, the minute he said that, I had a new understanding of that he's not wrong, but I still, every line he speaks, I don't care who spoke it. I want the line. But anyway, he's absolutely right. But Aaron Sorkin, this is his film. He also directed it. He had a lot of heat beforehand, a lot of heat afterward. It's all been based on the casting for the movie, not necessarily the writing of it. But let's just talk about the female perspective from this. First of all, I watched I Love Lucy as a child. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, 67 years old. I was born in 53. I Love Lucy was, you know, every Monday night. And just so you know, on Monday nights, they talk about this in the movie. On Monday nights, it's interesting because from what, let's say it was on at eight o'clock, from eight to 8.30 on Monday nights, people didn't use water. There was this water consumption falling. Okay. They used to keep grocery stores open on Monday nights till nine o'clock. And then they moved it to Thursday because nobody went out on Monday nights. Restaurants yeah. closed. That's why restaurants are closed on Monday. I mean, in other words, I Love Lucy, which was, was watched by 60 million people. Okay, when you get 4 million people watching a show today, you're in good shape. Mm-hmm. So it goes to show you the power that she had. And now we're getting to see accurately or mostly accurately or somewhat accurately, I can't speak for every line written, what was going on behind the scenes. And it makes me respect her as a woman so much more than I ever did before. I just thought she was sort of a flake, funny lady, you know, married to. Oh, no. I know, but I didn't uh, know. Lucille Ball. It's interesting because I I actually don't know much about Lucy and Desi, right? I don't know very much about that. But if you work in Hollywood, you know that Lucille Ball and their company saved CBS. And not just because of their television show. They ended up having a really big stake in CBS moving forward as part of the decision makers for the network. And Lucille Ball is the reason we have Star Trek. She is the reason that Star Trek happened. Okay, but leaving Star Trek aside, as a feminist, she had power that no woman had ever had before, both in business and on the screen. This is what I'm saying, though, is is she's she is the reason that that studio succeeded. And she doesn't get the credit for it often. Well, what's interesting to me is you would think that after she was so successful and used her power and said, I'm not going to do this show if you don't use my husband as my husband on the screen. She took bold moves. But what happened was other women didn't follow her. So right now, women are in Hollywood. I don't know that other women could. Well, whether they could or whether they couldn't, at the time that she started doing it, she didn't have that power. When she said, I'm not doing this television show, if you don't allow my husband to play my husband, she had no power in Hollywood at that point. They wanted to do the show, but she wasn't powerful at any stretch. She became Mm -hmm. powerful because she was fearless in how she approached risk reward. I've always Mm -hmm. said to people, look, You have to weigh the risk and you weigh the reward and then you determine whether the action's worth it. Okay. She, every time ring risk reward, the risk of saying, I won't do this TV show, get someone else, or you're using my husband, the reward and the risk were tremendous. You know, she took huge risks. But what's surprising to me is that other women didn't follow suit. And here's what's interesting. I've been sleepless nights thinking about it. I think it's because women didn't really communicate that much with women. So I don't think Lucille Ball had a lot of friends in Hollywood. And so 
it's not like they all got together in the you know circles of uh, of support that women are doing now and the way and the vehicles we have to do it, whether it's social media or interviews or whatever. It just wasn't as public then. So maybe they didn't. A lot of people didn't even know the power she was adhering. Right down to a moment. I'm going to give this moment as another example. Okay, so Philip Morris, which has eight brands of cigarettes at the time, that's who sponsored the TV show. Okay, very important boss to her, really important. Ricky Ricardo was definitely sucking up to them, et cetera. She doesn't smoke their brand. And they're in her office and she pulls out her cigarettes from another manufacturer. And the guy says, what, she can't smoke a Philip Morris brand? It's a bold move. Look, today, people would have definitely smoked the brand of the person who was paying their payroll. You know, I just think she was really amazing. And I wish I had known. And I hope somebody writes an amazing biography of her. And I looked up uh, online. I didn't see a lot out there. So people like you who are in the business, you may have a little more understanding. But as a feminist, I'm like, whoa, Nellie, girl. You go. I just wish. Yeah, I, I just want to comment on something you said about women not talking to each other. There weren't any other women at her level. It no, was it, just her. She was alone at the top there as a decision maker. By the time she got there, she was. But on the way up there, she was on the payroll of RKO with a lot of other women. Yeah, she but saw them every day. They you have to all, remember, they though, together. that they these. Were, they didn't have lunch together. These women were competitors. They were all competing for the same role. And that's how the studio wanted it. And that's how they kept it. Well, I think they were isolated from each other. And that's why they didn't learn how to do what each other did. I think she probably was a standalone. Before she had the power, she acted like she had the power. That's what she did that was different. Before, she, there were people who used, women who used their power after they had it. But she was somebody who used her power before she had it. And it's why she was able to go to the the heights she was able to go to. I mean, they owned that TV show. That was unheard of then. Yeah. She's I thought pretty, Mary Tyler Moore was early to do that. I mean, like, no. So the film makes you want more, makes you want to understand her more. And I think it brings her to the forefront as a feminist role that's been a little bit ignored. I love what he did with it. I love it. Yeah, I will say it's probably his best female driven anything, but also his, his best female character since CJ. CJ Craig, she's talking yeah. about, yeah. From the West Wing. Okay, um, but, see, but but when I look at the female characters that Aaron's written, forgive me, Aaron, please still have lunch with me anyway. But CJ Craig's opening scene in with the West Wing, she's on a treadmill and there's a cute guy on the treadmill next to her. She's the press secretary for the president of the United States. She's on the treadmill and she starts talking to the guy next to her like a buffoon. And then she falls off the treadmill when her phone rings. So no. That's or why when she her, got the part, though. OK. The <laughs> second thing is when we meet her later in the season, the first time they ever hired her, you know, on the West Wing thing, she falls in a swimming pool because she's not wearing her glasses. You know, she grew into a strident, amazing woman. But the truth was, personally, she was a mess. Always to the, yeah, through the I, I, I mean, again, I, I didn't love I don't love Aaron's female characters. Yeah, I, I don't you. think they're great. Yep. Um, but I think CJ is probably the best of the lot. Yeah. And no, you're I right. think part you're of right. part of the reason that Allison got that job is because of her physical comedy chops. That's yeah. actually the reason she got that job. But that's also interestingly 
what Lucy was known for was physical comedy, right? Yeah. That's that's where she shines is well, in physical it, comedy. And what Nicole talked about as being part of the most difficult part of the job. Well, what's also interesting about that is, well, here's what Aaron Sorkin did that's genius in the film. And I think it will be nominated for the best Academy. I, I think it will be nominated. I don't know I'm if I'm sure. I think it might be. I, I let, We'll have to place a little bet on that. <laughs> but here's what he does in this plethora of information that he has to whittle down to two hours, he pulls out information that blows me away all through it. And one of them is, at one point, she says, Danny Thomas says funny lines. I do physical comedy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did not. I never, I never really understood that. In literally six seconds, he brings something to that table that is so critical to what the with the difference between I Love Lucy and some of the other sitcoms mm-hmm. were at the time. So the thing about Aaron is he can go in and he can pull out information that is so right and it doesn't on. feel yeah. like he's just layering in information for you. If it, it doesn't feel like here's a scene where we're just going to give you the background of everything, it's contextual. You understand why you're learning it in the moment that you're learning it. Absolutely. But the other yeah. thing is I had dinner with some friends a week or so ago and they had watched the first half hour and she's a brilliant woman in finance. And she said, you know, it's just, I couldn't get into it. And then I realized Aaron Sorkin at the beginning of many films, including Molly's Game, he spends the first 10 minutes giving you backstory as quickly as he can so he can get Mm -hmm. rid of it. And he does the same thing here. Yeah, he does open this as like a mockumentary kind of, not a mockumentary, but it's like a he just wants you to have he wants you to have the backstory. And frankly, I think it's a shortcut way, cheap way, or whatever to do it. I didn't know that we needed it in this. I don't know if we needed it, it or what not, was interesting, but that's what he though, was doing, you know? I'm curious to know if it's actually true that this all happened in the same week. So the, the movie does open with, like, not present day, but probably, like, 90s interviews with people from the show that are not Lucy and Desi, the writers and the producers of the show, and they're talking about that week, the week We that, see all of them in the show later on. Yeah, and, then, and it, it cuts back mm-hmm. to them. And so it is not a linear film, right? You're, you're starting with these interviews in close to present day. It's going back to the 60s when it this week that they're talking about is happening. And then you're also flashing back within that week to the beginning of Desi and Lucy's relationship and other moments throughout the relationship. So the timeline's a little confusing if you're not watching closely. What I do like that he did, I will say this is definitely Aaron's best directorial since he started directing. This is the first movie of his that he's directed that feels to me like a real movie. It doesn't feel like a play that's adapted, right? It feels like this was made for the screen. And I really appreciated that. The colors are stunning, right? All of the costumes are kind of perfect. I thought the editing was really well done. Oh, um, absolutely, yeah. Considering, for, I don't like his lighting. I don't like his lighting in any of his movies. Oh, that's interesting. I actually liked the lighting in this. Um, I didn't love it in Chicago Molly's 7. game. It was t- it was it was dark. Chicago Molly's game is dark, but it's dark. also a dark movie. This is, but but I just think every every scene he shoots, I don't think they have enough lights. Like, turn on a few more lights, please. Well, what I loved about this was that he really utilized the stage space. Right, I loved that so much of this movie takes place on the stage that they're shooting Lucy. I'd mm-hmm. be very curious to know if they actually shot on the same stage. I don't think uh, they did. Yeah. I mean, that's a very famous stage at Paramount. It's like there is a big plaque outside that says, this is where I Love Lucy was filmed. 
But it's also, and I, I'm sure this part wasn't at Paramount because they've redone the bungalow since then, but it, it's in the offices, right? That are connected to the stage, which are Desi and Lucy's offices um, and all of the actors' green rooms and what have you. I thought it was beautifully done. Yes, you do get some of those fantastic Aaron walk and talks. You know, you got to have those in an Aaron Sorkin movie. But what I loved was the colors, right? There is a sense of nostalgia and beauty and kind of almost like musical color palette that you get with I Love Lucy, even though the show is in black and white, right? The show is in black and white, but her hair, the dresses, Mm -hmm. right? The suits. Um, J.K. Simmons is like, pitch perfect in this movie by the way yeah he plays, absolutely he, yeah. by the way everyone's really good in the movie everyone's so great nicole kidman who's very angry who you don't she, love i don't love her no but people were very anxious because she was very anxious because she felt that people were really critical before she was even on the screen and that well, was hard. and that's yeah. because there was a really big announcement that said that kate blanchett was going to play this role. well she was supposed to and then yeah. she didn't and kate blanchett by the way has gone on record saying Lucille Ball has been an obsession of hers for years. Yeah. And so I think she did want the part. I don't know why. They said it was scheduling complications. But I don't believe Um, that for a second. I don't know. I will say there were certainly moments where Nicole shines through and you can't picture anyone else. And there are certainly moments where you're like, huh, I wonder what Kate would have done with this. Okay. Now, did you hear what um, Deborah Messing did from Will and Grace? No. She wanted the role too. She did. So she dressed up like Lucy and did a video, but the role ultimately went to Nicole Kidman who called up Sorkin and said, I don't think I should do it. And he said, you absolutely should do it. He put the the confidence in her to do it. And I'm glad she took a risk to do it. You know, if she can't take a risk, then who can? So, you know, she absolutely should. So I highly recommend it. It's it's a really interesting movie. I I was curious if they were going to take on all the topics that they did, because I'm familiar with this history historically and famously, I Love Lucy is the very first television show to feature a pregnant woman on the show. And that's a part of the story. That's this week where that, that oh, news yeah, is I, I don't, I can't believe all those things did happen in one week. I, I'm, yeah. That's why I was curious to find out if this is true. I'm, I'm not sure that it all is, but in this one week, Lucy is facing news being revealed that she at one time in her life checked the box that she was a you know, was affiliated with the Communist Party. She did this in the 30s. This was before World War II. This was as an homage as, to as, another person. By the way, did many people who were taken down by that situation. Right. There is a phenomenal moment where Javier Bardem really shines. And he, you know, I haven't seen him in a role like this before where it's I don't, just I don't think I have either. It's really talking. That's the role. The role is talking. It's not a ton of action. It's not a lot of like rough and tumble. And he really shines in this movie. Um, and they criticized him being cast as well. Well, it's interesting because I don't know if you're familiar with him, but my instinct would have been to cast Eugenio Derbez. Interesting. Who Good, yeah. is a comedian and he's Mexican, which is obviously not the same as Cuban, but you know, Javier is Spanish. And so I think there was a little bit of back and forth on that, but um Javier 
I mean, he holds his own in this yeah. movie. And he's he very, is, he's everyone's really very good. And I think they'll both be nominated. Both of them, I think, will be. I'll be curious to see who who gets nominated. Um, I think Aaliyah Shawkat is fantastic uh-huh. in this movie. She's one of the very few writers that was on I Love Lucy, and she's the only woman in the room often. And she's fantastic. I, I would highly recommend seeing the movie. There are some really standout moments for both Nicole and Javier. Everyone's great in the movie. Yep. I mean, Tony Hale shines in a, in a really different role than I I've seen him in. He's a fantastic comedian. Uh, and I loved him on both Arrested Development and Veep. But both he and Aaliyah Shockett are both from Arrested Development. And I was like, huh, I guess Aaron was a fan of that show. I know. Uh, <laughs> he, well, anything he slips in like that, usually from that. But also, David O. Russell was offered the directorship first. It just was say, he? Yeah. yeah. Aaron, but Aaron was always attached to write it. Aaron well, was always. Uh, yeah, this. he was. And then Jennifer Lawrence um, and Russell were interested to, in doing it together. And I'm glad Jennifer Lawrence didn't do it. I don't She's not Lucy. She's, she's too, too young. young. She's <laughs> too young. Yeah. I recommend it. We have two great movies to end the year with. I'm so grateful, you know? Yeah. I mean, I will say I've been a little disappointed this year. These were fun to watch. Yep. It was nice to see something worthwhile yes, come I out. Yes, I agree. Um, I agree. Well, we had lots to talk about. I mean, I think it, you know, it rolled off our tongues. We had so much to go over. But we can't wait to start 2022. We're really excited to be covering what's coming next. And pretty soon, Walter's going to go to the movies, right? I I did go to the movies <gasps> and you're going to you're going to laugh at me but I saw Spider-Man No Way Home and it's of great. Course. What gets her to the movies? Spider-Man. I'm ending there. It's really good. Happy New Year everyone. Happy New Year everyone. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>